Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travels. And welcome to another episode of Travels with Charlie. Charlie Papillo, your host. Great to be with you this afternoon. And man, what a beautiful day. Again, my ride down from the Burlington area, looking at the foliage, uh, seeing lots of out-of-state plates out on the roadway today. So a lot of people are leaf-peeping. Foliage is just beautiful, great. Uh, and in the true spirit of political incorrectness, which I am so famous for, let me just uh, be the first to say... Happy Columbus Day to you, yes. I'm also joined today by my executive producer, Brad Furlan. Brad, thank you for stopping in. And uh, you're always here, but you're actually sitting in studio today. Hey, Charlie. Quick reminder, too, that uh, past shows of uh, Travels with Charlie here on WDEV and the video series that we did, Brad, which we shot um, I'm guessing anywhere from, I don't know, I, I think almost 40 episodes we shot. Uh, 36 of them are now up on the WDEVradio.com website. So you can go there, you can see some of these videos. And it's interesting, some of these videos we shot two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. And one of the videos that we shot was about Act 46, which we will be discussing today, and that is uh, episode number 30. So you can go to WDEVradio.com. And you can just go to episode 30 and take a look at it, and we'll get into our guest here in just a moment. I quickly want to thank all of our sponsors, because this show would not happen without the support of our sponsors. Jolly Convenience Stores, if you're driving through Vermont today, and you're you're from out of state, and you don't know where to stop to get a good hot cup of coffee, or just a friendly smile, or a sandwich, or a snack, or ice-cold Coca-Cola products, filling up your car, filling up your belly, Jolly Convenience Stores. There's over 40 of them in the state, so check that out. And, of course, uh, Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com. We've got uh, fall cleanup going up on pretty soon. Uh, maybe it's time to bring that dumpster in, and they can do that for you. Dumpster rental for big clean-outs. Uh, they are reliable service, competitive pricing, and environ- environmentally sustainable waste services. And if you want to take a big trip and get out of the state, uh, maybe thinking about doing something this winter, Mill Travel American Express. They've been doing it since 1975, and they can certainly help you out. MilnTravel.com. On today's show, Pete Delaney, the executive director of Run Vermont and People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon, he's going to be joining us. Of course, as you know, lots of changes for this year's race, typically held on Memorial Day in Burlington. It's going to be happening on October 24th this year. Pete's going to be joining us in our second half. The Boston Marathon uh, wrapped up today, and no surprises, uh, two Kenyans uh, won that race, as uh, they typically do, and there's, there's a lot of big money there, so that's what brings them in. Our first guest joining us for a conversation on Act 46 are parents from Ripton, Vermont, Joanna Doria and Molly Witter joining us on the phone line. 
Good afternoon, ladies. Thank you for joining us here on Travels with Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Thanks Hi, Charlie. For all right, let's 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 figure out who's who first. Joanna, you go first. Hi. Hi. Wish I could be in the studio with you today, but I am at I'm at school actually in Ripton, um, and glad to be with you on the phone. Well, Joanna, glad that uh, you were able to join us. Uh, am I getting your name correct, Joanna Doria? Correct, Doria. Joanna Doria. Yep. All right, we got that. And and Molly Witter. Good afternoon, Molly. Hi there. This is Molly. You'll, you'll recognize me by my gravelly voice because I'm home with a cold, uh, which in COVID times really sticks you at home. So. Well, we hope you get better. Th- thank you both for joining us today. Let Maybe give a little background if we could. Uh, Act 46 passed. Many knew that it would likely lead to some small schools closing. Uh, Ripton voted to leave the district, trying to keep its school open. Let me ask you both, uh, you first, Joanna, why is that important to you? It is important to me for many reasons. Um, the the process at which the um, board was going to close Ripton, to me, what didn't offer enough. I think our community deserved better and our students deserved better in terms of the process. Um, we really voted to leave the district as a last-ditch effort to maintain our school and to maintain some of the really important um, things that the school offers our youngest kids in our town, and t- so to me, it was it was really about the process, and that's why it's important. Molly, how about you? Why is it important to you? Why do you want to keep the, the school open? Oh, I really hold on to um, a feeling that that a school, often in a rural community, really serves as a central point. Um, both serving our children, teaching them about the strength of community, and then turning, folding back into strengthening the community itself. And so, you know, from a, like a bird's eye ideologic view, I really have been supporting this process because I feel that it's really important in a, in a rural town with a lot of community support when a town says that they really want to keep a, a, an elementary school close by, um, that we should be able to because it's, it's something that keeps our community strong and vibrant for years to come. If you're listening today and you'd like to, to comment, we would love to hear from you. 244-1777. Our toll-free number is 1-877-291-8255. And specifically, if you're in the, you know, the Stowe, uh, the Elmore area, which that's right where we're broadcasting, right in that area, we would love to hear from you. Brad Ferlin, my executive producer, also joining me today. Brad, let me ask you, because you followed this story very closely and we worked on a video together a couple of years ago. Do you see any positives from Act 46? I mean, there was so much discussion about, well, we're doing it to save money. So you could argue that, look at all the money we've saved, but have we? Yeah, Charlie, I don't think there's any data that suggests that there's been uh, savings of money. Uh, the And Act 46 was like a freight train that um, legislators just keep kept going down the track as fast as they could. And Ripton and and now Elmore, Morristown, Stowe, and many other communities in Vermont at the tail end of this are are seeing some unintended consequences that need repair. And and we're seeing that there's you know there's legislative pushback and there's uh, pushback from the state board of ed and it's just not a not a great um, ending to something. So Joanna and Molly, you both have kids in, in the school system, correct? Yes. 
So let me ask, if Ripton Elementary were to close, your kids would be bused to Mary Hogan in, in Middlebury. Can you give that some perspective for people that aren't familiar with, here's Ripton, here's Middlebury. What does that mean for the students? Well, um, we'll go ahead, Mom. Go ahead, Joanna. Oh, just that word. You can maybe Molly talk about the geographic side of it, because um, actually sure. Molly and I live on on opposite sides of the town, and this is just harkening back to the process. So, our Ripton kids being bused to Mary Hogan, we weren't even sure that that was going to happen. There was too, there were too many unknowns, and the board was going to vote to close schools before we even knew what school they were going to. So, actually, at one point in time, they were talking about sending half the kids from one side of town to Salisbury and then the other kids to Mary Hogan. So um, that's just some context. It's maybe a little bit more in-depth than you were hoping to talk no, about. No, no, not at all. Geographic no. isolation of Ripton. And, and Molly, you can talk about that if you want. Yeah, Molly, I'd like to know specifically, I mean, what does that mean for a student? How much longer are they on a bus? Are they, is it a half-hour trip as opposed to a 10-minute trip? What does that mean to, to the kids? Yeah, there's certainly a, a physical and geographic component to, to our, our argument for keeping our school open, although it's certainly not the only only argument. But we live up a really sketchy mountain pass road, Route 125, for a fellow Vermonters who's passed over it. can be a rugged road in the winter. And so although it's, you know, on a good day only a 20-minute trip door-to-door to Mary Hogan if theoretically our kids were going there. Um, in terms of busing our small children, it could easily, um, you know, add 45 minutes on top of their uh, the trip they already had to take to get to the front doors of Ripton and pick up the, the bus that goes, then goes down to town. Um, this is not a trip that, that our town is unfamiliar with because our middle and high school students have always gone there. Um, so, again, this is a little bit about keeping our young ones close and, yeah. and anyone who's had a kid can understand um, that dynamic is a little bit different, and, and we actually appreciate uh, the opportunities of, of diversity and um, an opportunity that, that await when, when our older students do go down the mountain, although there are certain days that we have to make our own call as far as, as the Weather-wise. Bus, even if the buses are running down in the valley, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be running up here. So obviously we're talking about the, the elementary school. Your kids are in the elementary school. Let me ask you both, and I'll go uh, you first, Molly. Uh, what are their feelings about having to, you know, leave their school and go to a different school? Uh, is there some some you know some stress involved in all of that? Are they are they are they easy with it? to leave yet because we've we've been fighting pretty hard to keep our school open so right but what are they thinking about i mean this has to be going on in their mind that has to be some some obviously some some stress uh, involved here yeah yeah it's such a um kids have such a, a great way of of viewing the world you know i see that across the board um from the stress of of these social dynamics that uh, adults get so raised in arms about to you know, losing animals and across the board, death, stress, everything in the world, kids kids kind of handle better than us. And so my child certainly uh, really advocates for all the hours I'm putting in to advocate for our school because she loves our, her school and she doesn't want it closed. Um, she doesn't she doesn't know what the world looks like with, with that school closed. She just knows what it looks like um, with her, with the community's arms wrapped around her at that school. And so I don't, I actually don't think that stress is um, something that she could have the perspective to really um, comment on. Um, 
but she loves the school, and our community loves our school. And we're, t- we're not just talking uh, the kiddos, I mean, certainly the grandparents and the non-parents. There's a lot of um, rallying support around our, our yeah. community school. Joanna, how about you? How, how about your? And, and yeah. I, how many kids well, do you have, Joanna? I didn't ask either. Of you. I have two kids, yeah. and my I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. So my six-year-old's in first grade, and it's her third year at Ripon Elementary School because um, two years ago they did have a four-year-old preschool program, which um, doesn't exist um, anymore this year. But I, I think I want to carry on that thread that Molly was talking about in terms of celebrating what what we have. Um, we just had a, a big fundraiser yesterday called the Ripton Ridge Run, and community members that have been, it's in, it was the 34th annual time that they've, they put this fundraiser on for the for the for the elementary school, and just to see and celebrate how many iterations of Ripon Elementary School, you know, past past students having their children run, um, and past members of the school coming back to volunteer is um, something that I know my daughter feels. I don't know if she could put words to it, but she knows the names. Of, of the people. She feels a connection to the people that um, that help with this fundraiser to make it fun and then also know where to point out where to find the monarch caterpillars or what to do if, if this um, problem happens. So she definitely knows the names of community members, and I and I am so glad that she does. We're talking with Ripton Elementary School uh, parents this afternoon on Travels with Charlie about uh, the possibility of Ripton School closing. What would happen? We would love to hear your comments, your questions to 244-1777 or toll-free 1-877-291-8255. We will take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what what happens to a community when a school closes. Myself, along with my executive producer, Brad Ferlin, on Travels with Charlie, back right after these messages. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. I might even just give this one to my executive producer, Brad Furlan, who's sitting in studio with me this afternoon on Travels with Charlie Corm in the other room, always trying to stump me with the music uh, back to the show. Brad? Does it have a Chicago ring to it? It does have a Chicago <laughs> ring to it. You are absolutely right. And welcome back to Travels with Charlie. Our guests this afternoon, Joanna Doria and Molly Witter. We're talking about Act 46, school mergers. They are both parents of students in Ripton, Ripton Elementary. Thank you, ladies, both for joining us this afternoon. As I mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about closing a school and what it does to a community. And, and I'd like to bring Brad Furlan in on this one, if we could, please. Brad, as you know, we shot a number of videos. In fact, you just brought it up during the break. I mentioned uh, video number 30 in uh, the town of Newberry. 
that we shot about uh, closing the school and what happens to the community. And you also brought up, we did one with Senator uh, Parent, Corey Parent. Yeah, that's right. Senator Parent and Dave Kelly. And that was in Franklin, Vermont. And Franklin had submitted a 100-plus page document to the State Board of Ed saying that they had high academic scores and the lowest costs. They were in the low 20% of costs of running a school and the high um, academic scores in the high 80s. And yet they were forcibly merged. Yeah. And as you recall in that episode, uh, we went on a bus ride. Uh, I've seen back roads that I didn't even know existed in Vermont. And the point that we were making is with some of these mergers, as as I brought up uh, in the first part of this uh, program with Joanna and Molly, is, you know, the bus rides, they're longer. And and that's what we tried to show in this video. We were on that road. Uh, uh, I don't know where we traveled. We were all over. It was definitely Travels with Charlie. Yeah, the back roads of Franklin. And, in fact, uh, we were – meeting with um, folks in Callis about their small school at one point, and uh, they have 85 miles of back roads in Callis. And you you throw a five-year-old onto a bus and go 85 miles of roads, you got a long morning. So, Joanna and, and Molly, Joanna, you first. We talked a little bit about the loss of local control and what that means to you, but... There's also, uh, you know, a, a part of, as we found out in that episode that we did in Newberry, about property values and things like that. Uh, when people research places that they want to live, the school is one of the important factors of where they choose. And if you don't have a school, that makes a big that makes a big part of the decision, does it not, Molly or jo- Joanna? Yeah, I I completely agree. I know. We would not have chosen to move here eight years ago if there wasn't a school in town. We would have looked at another town, um, and that's regardless of of my husband actually being um, going to school and 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 um, living here for his life. So we're actually sending second generation <laughs> kids to Ripton Elementary School at this point. No, it, it had a huge factor in why we moved to Ripton, and I I believe the exceptional amount of new families we have to the school um that was a a made a driving factor for for their choosing Ripton too as as you know living in vermont we might feel this influx of out-of-state people coming to to live here for many reasons you know one of the points that was made in newbury and brad you may recall this as well but in newbury the largest employer in that town is the school and when the school leaves you would lose that many people that are employed. Uh, and that's just, that can be devastating. The economic impact is huge. Yeah, and additionally there, the uh, the school board directors were local. They knew that's Newberry School. They knew the kids. They knew the teachers. They were able to react um, quickly on things. And, and that went away, too, when they were merged and suddenly they were in a, a minority on a board that they just didn't have a voice anymore. Molly, how many years have you lived in Ripton, and what would that ha- what would happen if, if in in your uh, opinion, if if the school were to close? Uh, well, I've lived uh, in Ripton about a dozen years, and um, I came to Ripton before I ever imagined having a child, actually, and I and I sometimes muse that I might not have decided to have one had I not felt so supported in this community and, and had such a uh, great school right in town. Um, 
So, you know, what, what would happen is, is slowly the, the heart and soul of a town gets eked away when a school closes. And, and we've seen this happen over and over in rural settings. And, you know, consolidation models really make sense in suburban um, population-dense areas, and they get much trickier in rural settings. And so what we fear for our town is that not only property values decreasing, but really sort of the character of who who's coming here, who's replacing, you know, the... The old stalwarts. Um, is it is it people buying second homes because they're close to a ski mountain, or right. is it people with little kids willing to show up and volunteer at the PTA and and be on the volunteer fire department? And um, it's really the latter that we're trying to keep feeding into this community. And, and without a school, that's a harder task. Do you think that there, is there much of an outcry? You know, it seems like why are all these things going on? Why is this happening? Uh, uh, you and, and you know what's being done to not let it happen. Well, I mean, my opinion is is a, a lot of this traces back to unfunded mandates at the state level and sort of just how we value and interpret um, interpret funding and allocation of funding from a higher authority. And so, you know, a lot of times the the squabbling is happening at the really local level, but um, it's how people are kind of dealing with the hand they've been dealt and. Um, so, and even in, in its essence, I don't, uh, I'm not a disbeliever in the concepts behind Act 46. I think if it's really well applied, Act 46 could do a lot for our state. Um, but it, there needs to be a nuance that's been lacking in, in a lot of these cases. And, and that nuance just has to do with um, really upholding the importance of, of community spirit and, and community autonomy. And, and Vermont has been known for its autonomy and it's, and it's community interdependence for years and years and years. And, and I, I feel that if, if, if we lose that, we're not Vermont anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I do glance upward at, at the sort of uh, state of the unfunded mandates and, and ask everyone to really pay attention to what's coming down the line as far as how we fund our schools and, and, and ask your legislators to explain that and how that might affect our small sure. schools. And, Brad, let me, let me ask you, forced mergers, you're not able to petition for change, or has that changed? Well, uh, Stowe, uh, Morristown, and Elmore are right in the thick of it right now. Stowe has voted by a majority of voters to withdraw from the district. Elmore, uh, residents of Elmore have filed a petition to withdraw from the, uh, supervisory, well, from the, from the, um, LSUU as well. Uh, Morristown may, may take the next step in the next, um, week or two to try to withdraw as well. Now, Voting, all three communities voting and accepting that, um, there's still question whether the state board will accept it. And I think that, um, Joanna or, or Molly can also, um, talk more about, you know, what happens in the after. Is, are they, is there sort of a punitive approach or is there, let's hold hands and see how this can work best for the kids? Ladies, want to comment? Joanna? Well, from my perspective, it feels it does feel punitive. We it, it's been a two-year um, process, and the, these la- this last six months, um, or actually last year, um, we've done a lot. We've done a lot of work. We've we've um, cleared really high hurdles for our community and our school, um, and it feels like this last hurdle um, is is punitive because we are entering into a negotiation with our district without any power again. Um, and so it really comes down to 
not being not having no protections in place to uphold a healthy process for this and and no protections in place to even come to the table as equals and that's how i feel how about you molly yeah i, I think joanna hit, hit it on the nose it um it doesn't uh, you know how do we make a, a statewide conversation feel like a dialogue. You know, really, this this feels like it should be our our town sitting down at town meeting and deciding it, or having a town vote. And and we did, and we have, and 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 yet we still are kind of shouting at the hills when it comes. You know, it comes to our decision isn't being parlayed into a um, being supported at, at the state level. So yeah. you, you feel like you're not being listened to. You talk with your representatives. Yeah, we're yeah we we are in a sticky position where one of our representatives also serves on the board for our mm. consolidated district. So, I mean, there therein lay some layers of, of convolution right there. So, what's the next step? Our where- next our next step. So we um, the the first thing we did in this process was want was approach the consolidated board for. Um, the idea that they could consider the Articles of Agreement as not protective enough for small towns. For the first three years after consolidation, there wasn't really any talk about school closure. And, and, and what I hear from the um, Charter Committee was that it wasn't ever about wanting to target anybody's school foreclosure, and it quickly turned into that was the only thing they talked about. So it... it, it you know, in, in a few months, it turned into, wow, this is what their their focus is on, and there's nothing we can do. There's no amount of um, outreach or public comment or other ideas to bring to the table that um, were going to be considered because it did feel like they were under they were under pressure to stay below the excess spending threshold, and and that's now um, not. Who knows to say that it'll come back? But right now, the excess spending threshold has been put on um, pause um, for this this COVID time, COVID recovery time, and so they they felt that pressure financially. In the they were targeting school closure to to help alleviate that pressure. Brad, you were shaking your head in, in agreement. Uh, in, any further comments before we break here? Yeah, it's just um, there has to be. Um, when you've got this top town, top down kind of approach, um, and you don't get into the little towns, and I'll show you one example. Elmore, there's, there's a school, a little store, a lake, and a park. It is their character. It is their, you know, it is the attraction. And they don't even have a voice on their school. And, and just like, um, Joanna's saying, um, it can happen, it suddenly, gets to the forefront, and you can lose your little school, and you lose your community that way. Yeah, and you lose the community feel. It doesn't happen immediately, but as we already discussed this afternoon, when people decide where they want to live, and there's no school in that community, and they decide not to move there, and people decide to move away, and then all of a sudden, uh, you've really lost a lot of that community spirit. Let's hope that doesn't happen. I want to thank both of you for joining us this afternoon, Joanna Doria and Molly Witter, both parents of children at the Ripton Elementary School, and we hope that you can keep your school open and continue the fight. Ladies, thank you both for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. All right, we will be right back.
Yeah, thank you. Uh, coming up next, Executive Director of Run Vermont on this month's People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon. Pete Delaney joins me in studio straight ahead right here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. When I'm on my travels throughout Vermont, I know where to stop for a fill-up, fresh-made sandwiches, snacks, hot coffee, or an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Jolly convenience stores. With over 40 in our area, there's always one nearby. And they're more than a quick stop. Proudly supporting local charities, community events, and our military. Jolly convenience stores. Home of the Daily Smile. Even behind that mask. Stop by today. You'll be glad you did. How you been? Yeah, he's, he, you're really dumbing it down, Corm. These are just getting way too easy. Uh, Pete Delaney, Executive Director for the People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon, joining me in studio. Hotel California. E- you knew that, right? Absolutely. Eagles, we got it, we got it. Welcome back to Travels with Charlie, and we also do a little bit of Stump the Band. Hey, I apologize. Had a caller uh, just before Pete stepped in here, wanted to uh, get on and discuss the Act 46 and school merger situation that we, topic that we had on with our, our previous guests. Uh, I, you know, I, I looked at Pete and he says, no, this is my time. <laughs> I ran all the way down here from Burlington. You gotta let me on the air. No, I apologize, caller. Uh, uh, please, if you had called just three minutes earlier, we would have got you on, but we gotta talk about, uh, the, the marathon, which is coming up. Boston Marathon just today, too, as a matter of fact. Boston Marathon today is still going on. As a matter of fact, one of your favorite people. Mike, the donut guy, Canerick, is on course as we speak. Unbelievable. I've been following him. I knew he was going to run the marathon. He's yep. raising money for a charity, I believe. Yep. Uh, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Awesome. Yeah, he awesome. started around 1030, and so he's probably getting pretty close. Yeah, I remember calling him across the finish line uh, yeah. a few years ago. So uh, lots of changes. This year it's going to be happening in Burlington on October 24th. The Boston Marathon was also a few months late, all COVID-related. That's correct. They did a full marathon. Do you have any insight into were there, what kind of changes Boston did? Oh, boy. Uh, we certainly talked with those folks a lot. We talked with a lot of races around the country as to what different folks are doing in different places. And it really comes down to what are the resources in your community and, and what can you put together uh, under trying conditions. So you know, we're excited. We're going to be running 13 days from today. Yeah. We're going to have a half marathon and a marathon relay. We're going to start and finish in Waterfront Park. Uh, the only thing that's not new about this event is the name. And the finish line. And the finish line. <laughs> the finish line Actually, is... the finish line has moved a little bit. You not guys much, mo- but... You guys move it every year anyway. And we want to keep you, know... you and Tim on your toes. <laughs> I, I always remember, you know, we'd go down, and for years, of course, uh, you know, working for for another radio station, we would do a broadcast along yep. with uh, yep. Tim Bomba. Uh, Tim and I will be uh, teaming up again. I'm so looking forward to doing that. Uh, and it seemed like every year there was like, well, we've moved it a little bit, put it here, put it there. Every year we just got better. Uh, you know, there was better vantage point. Uh, yep. And it yep. wasn't just about Tim and I. It was really about the spectators and That's about correct. that waterfront park. But i got to ask you, Pete, I mean, to change – uh, the race from a 26.2 to a 13.1. You don't just go, all right, we'll cut half of it out or start at the halfway point. <laughs> you're starting at Waterfront. You're ending at Waterfront. We typically started at Battery Park, ended at Waterfront. 
you you there are certain elements that I'm sure that you wanted to keep in that like Church Street and all of that. I mean, who was in charge of? Okay, here we go. You don't just get a map out with a sharpie and go like that. <laughs> it's got it's got to be verified too, right? It's a blindfold and a dartboard, isn't that how you do this stuff? <laughs> it's actually uh, you know pretty. Pretty much a team effort, but uh, leading the charge on the course redesign, Joe Connolly, our director of race operations. And we did. We took a look at the traditional course, and we said, what are the pieces that we would most live without? Uh, Beltline and the hill section, you know, the first kind of two loops of the yeah. of the four-loop cloverleaf design course. So we've got Pine Street and the south end of the bike path. So Beltline's out. Beltline's out. Yeah. And in some day, days, depending on the weather, that could be a, a horrendous part of the race, could it not? I mean, yeah. there's no shade. No shade out there. If it was warm, that was, that could be a tough row. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I always liked running the Beltline because it was the one place on the course where you got to see everybody, no matter where you were in the pack. Yeah, coming and going, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And also, you know, going through the communities. I know, like on North Avenue, there were... Uh, and there's, there's one, they, they won, they've won the award and I apologize because I have, it's, I know it's, it's a Sweeney and his, his crew that, that wins the award from People's United Bank. Yeah. Lakeview Estates. That's it. Lakeview Estates and the unofficial, official band of the Vermont City Marathon, Sciatica. Home, <laughs> their home base is Lakeview Estates. So we anticipate they'll be out there strumming away a little heavy metal as people are running through Lakeview Estates this year. Awesome. And that's really, you know, when you, when you talk about uh, the People's United Bank, that uh, the, the integral part of, it's not just the race, it was always about the community. We always felt that. It's, it's, you know, the people that were out there handing out water, they had hoses out on warm days, uh, you know, the music, as you mentioned, the, the community spirit, uh, and keeping all of that intact, even though you've cut the race down. Uh, you know, it's a community-supported event. That's what's most important to us. That's why we kept the areas that we did, because that's where the community comes out in force. We hope they will again. We're going to be asking everybody, certainly in the race venue at Waterfront Park, if you you know, to bring your mask along. Um, we want to be safe. We want to make sure we can hold. Runners this event do again. not have to wear a mask. Runners correct? will be masked uh, up until the start. And then once they cross the finish line, we'll ask them to take a mask on again. Let me ask. We're talking with Pete Delaney, Executive Director, Run Vermont, the People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon that is happening October 24th. As we all know, it was canceled last year, and then it was postponed uh, Memorial Day this year to just coming up in 13 days as uh, I gotta get, I gotta start training. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> gotta get that voice in shape. I gotta get it in shape. Uh, how has the racing community adapted to all of this? When you consider this isn't, didn't just happen in Burlington, as we mentioned, Boston Marathon happening right now. Um, how have they adapted to all of this? It's, uh, it's been very interesting. Uh, the races that have come back this year, uh, really, has started to trickle back into running operation, if you will, back in June. And a big race like Grandma's up in Duluth, uh, they had a good turnout. Uh, but almost everybody, including Boston today, uh, is uh, running with reduced numbers. So Boston was down, I think, about 35%. And uh, was, conscious, that by, was that by choice? Yes. It conscious was. Okay. decision yep. in, in some cases, uh, not a conscious decision in other cases. So it really is, you, you cover the spectrum these days, you know, from people who have stopped and uh, are just not going to come back until 2022 
Uh, Big Sur, for example, was a, a race that said, you know, we'll see in 2022. Yeah. Uh, and, People who have been trying to put stuff together for this year, you know, Marine Corps Marathon announced the cancellation uh, essentially a week, maybe 10 days ago. And they're a big fall race. You know, they're they're one of the top 10 races in the country. Chicago did a great job of putting their race on this past weekend. Boston's doing a great job. New York, I'm sure, is going to do a wonderful job. Yeah. And it's just a matter of do you have the resources you need to pull it all together and do it in, in a responsible and safe manner. If you're a runner or you're just a spectator and you'd like to uh, join us in the conversation this afternoon, uh, Pete and I would love to hear from you. 244-1777 or toll free at 1-877-291-8255. Pete, couldn't you have just, uh, and I'm not, cause I, I do want to get into some of, you know, some people were critical of it when you cut it down to 12 points. Sure. You, I'm sure you saw the Facebook, uh, um, comments about, uh, you know, why you're cutting it and why cut it and why do this and why do that. People but, had opinions. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, that's what makes the world go around here. It keeps me in, employed. Uh, uh, but could you have said, okay, we're still going to go 26.2, but we're only going to have, I don't know, 2,000 runners? Um, you could have done something like that, but that's not really the spirit that we're trying to have. You know, we want people to participate uh, at a community level. Uh, so, so numbers was important. You wanted enough because we all understand that. You know, with with that many people there, it's it's it, it's just it's vibrant, right? You want to have a critical mass, yeah, uh, to to make sure that everybody feels uh, that it's uh, a celebration. You know, that's what the race has always been—a celebration of our community coming together and partaking in a positive experience. Whether you're running, whether you're cheering from the sidelines, whether you're a volunteer out there, it's making something happen. You know, it puts all the political differences, it puts all the boundaries, it puts all that stuff aside, and you're just cheering for people to go out there and chase their dreams. So it was basically the Delta variant is what put you on high alert and said, okay, this is what we need to do? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Pete Delaney with us this afternoon, People's United Bank, Vermont City Marathon, coming up in just 13 days, October 24th. Burlington Waterfront, that's the start for those of you that show up and go to Battery Park and go, <laughs> oh, nobody's here, all down at the waterfront. And I'm wondering if you're you – know, I'm thinking ahead because I know you always think – I always talked with you after the marathon, and you were already planning the next marathon at, oh, the, yeah. at the end of that one. That could be a start point at some point because the waterfront is just – I don't know. It's, it's beautiful. Um it's nice gorgeous. It's getting more gorgeous every year. Yeah. You know, the, what the city's been doing with the uh, with the frame and the old Moran plant, uh, the bike path improvements. People are going to run this race in two weeks, and they will see the completion of the improvement of the bike path from the north all the way to the south. Right. So Oak Ledge Park is still under construction. It's going to be ready for us. The bike path through Oak Ledge is going to be done. It's gorgeous. Uh, Joe just did the uh, certification ride to certify the course over the weekend. So we've got that locked in, and, and we're, we're happy with it. It's going to be a great event. Uh, it's going to be smaller, no no question. Yeah. Uh, there will be fewer people, and, you know, it's a shorter distance. But we think it's a step back towards uh, what we hope will be a return to our traditions in, in May of 2022. But if we've learned anything over the last two mo- two years, it's that, Whatever we expect to happen, 
probably is not going to be exactly the way we think it will yeah. be. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to get into some of the things that, uh, and we've talked about this before, after the marathon, things that happened that nobody knows about other than maybe, you know, myself, <laughs> yourself, and I, maybe you didn't even tell us everything, you know, Tim Bombo and myself. But we've had many of those things happen, and I'd love to get into that. And we'd love to hear your stories. If you're a runner, you're out there, and you want to talk with uh, with Pete Delaney, we would love to hear from you. We'll be right back after these uh, short messages. Charlie uh, Papillo and uh, Pete Delaney on Travels with Charlie on WDEV. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you. Guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millatravel.com. Oh, man, I think you might have stumped me on this one. I don't know, Pete. Can you help me well, out? They call me the Breeze. They call me the Breeze. Leonard Skinner, man. Skinner. All right. All right. I should have gotten that when I saw them at the fair a few years ago. I, I awesome used to have show. a college roommate. We referred to one of his girlfriends as the Breeze. The Breeze. Okay. <laughs> we won't get into that today. Pete Delaney, Executive Director of the People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon, my guest this afternoon, and he just informed me 13 days out. That's when the marathon is. Eight o'clock start, Waterfront Park. Of course, I know all of this because I got to be there. Yeah. I will be there. Uh, as uh, uh, we pointed out, um, the, the band is getting back together. The Tim, band is back together. Tim Bomba and myself. Can you, for our listeners uh, that don't know what's involved in in in, in you know calling a race, and doing, Tim Bomba does this for a living. And I just bring this guy in, and and yep. he just gets on the mic and go, "All right, here comes a runner. He's got all the music." Uh, just the protocols, everything. He's got it all down. Yeah, you know, you, you listen to the race, whether it's broadcast or live, and and you think, wow, you know, that's uh, they do a pretty good job. But no one really understands how much homework goes into it. Yeah. Uh, Tim studies the the race field for weeks. You know, we're sending him bios on runners and uh, you know special interest stories and things like that. He, as you well know, Charlie, just like you've got a notebook in front of you right now, Tim's got a notebook in front of him. Uh, it's usually, you know, that that like size 24 font. <laughs> We're getting so, older. Yeah. <laughs> so you can read it at a glance. <laughs> but, the, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to make it sound smooth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kudos to, to you and Tim. You guys do a great job. Well, Tim does it, and, 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 and to the music. And I know this is so important because, as I've mentioned before, you know, being at that finish line, of course, this being a half marathon, uh, but still, you know, for me to do that many miles, and 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 I've seen people come across 26.2 that are well over my age. I'm almost ashamed to call them across the finish line. Some of them finish in six hours, but they come across the finish line. And this is something that Bamba always brings out, how important it is for us to be there Absolutely. and to get the crowd rallied because – you know, in the first couple of hours when everybody's, you know, the, the winners and the, you know, the ones that are coming just behind, you know, two hours and 30 and so forth. But it's the ones that are at the three hour mark, the four hour mark for a full marathon that 
they need to be cheered on, and we don't yeah. want the crowd to leave. And and you know, Bomba and I try to keep the crowd there. But it's the ones at the six-hour mark and the seven-hour <laughs> mark, and they still need it, yeah. Hey, one of the things that you are doing this year, and I don't know if you've ever done it in the past, but with with COVID, so many of us have done virtual events. We've yep. done meetings, Zoom meetings. Yep. So there's going to be a virtual marathon, is that correct? Yep, virtual marathon. It won't be the first one. We've, we've done virtual now a couple of years. I think we've got 46 runners in the virtual, and uh, they're already sending us our res- their results. So they'll be getting a wonderful medal and T-shirt uh, upon completion of the race, the live race. We'll uh, send everything out after we get the, the live race behind us. But, yeah, there's uh, – so when we made the pivot, we said, you know, we know there's going to be a lot of people who are disappointed, and we want to give them as many options as we can. Yeah. They can also defer to next year, correct? They can defer yeah. to May of 2022, which a lot of folks have done. Uh, we gave them three options to run another marathon, and we negotiated with other races, Hartford Marathon, Adirondack Marathon, and the Mad Marathon right here in, in Vermont. Uh, and we've, I think we've had over 100 runners take advantage of those offers. So if you really were set on 26.2, you had options to pursue. Sure. Um, so you could defer, you could uh, convert to the half, you could go virtual. We gave them as many options as we could. And, and runners must show proof of vaccination or a negative test within 72 hours of the race, correct? That's correct. And that will be done at Packet Pickup. It will be the first stop for everybody at the Expo. Um, so still us, doing the Expo this yep, year, too. Yep, at yeah. the Doubletree. Uh, show your, your VAX cards uh, or your PCR test results, and that will give you the ability to um, go over and pick up your bibs. Kids race on Saturday? Kids race on Saturday, Timberland Dental Group Mini Marathon. We've got about 100 kids registered to run a half a mile or a two-mile race. Great. So really much hasn't changed. It's still, it's you know, that as far as the weekend goes, when you've got, this, you, yep. you've got the Sports and Fitness Expo happening, you've got the kids' events happening on Saturday, and then, of course, the big race, well, you know, half race, but still a big race yep. on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. You know, who knows if this goes well? Maybe we'll continue with a half marathon at, on this date in the future, but you know we'll uh, we'll worry about that step when we when we get past this one. Well, well it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because that was always a topic. Why don't you do a half marathon? And, yeah. and here you are, you're doing it for a different reason, obviously. Right. right. But it is. It's a, you've got the half marathon going on. Yeah. One of the reasons that you brought about uh, doing that wasn't about just uh, you know having less people coming to the state of Vermont. It was about the stress of our health care providers. Absolutely. The, uh, you know, we talked with our medical team and our medical director, and they said, you know, uh, to support the race for a full 26.2 miles, even with a smaller field, we're still going to need 50, 60, 70 yeah. um, medical volunteers. For the race that we conducted in 2019, it was 120 medical volunteers. Oh, yeah. Uh, credentials at all different levels of expertise and specialization. Yeah. Anyone that's ever been at the finish line that sees that tent yep. and sees those people there, and if yep. somebody's stumbling across that finish line and on those hot days, yep. they're putting them in ice baths or doing everything to yep. them. Uh, we have the, the protocols that were established for this race and for the medical support was triage and treat in place. And there are other races that have different programs that are a triage and transport. Um, but here, with the needs of our community and the services available in our community, many years ago they said, you know, we want to keep traffic out of the hospital if we can. Sure. 
And so that's why the program was developed the way it was. So you get to fast forward to a Delta uh, variant surging once again, and we're watching what's going on in the hospital. We're talking with those folks, talking with our medical directors, and we said, you know, it's just not responsible to ask these people to come out and volunteer to do something that they're doing on a daily basis under pretty good strains. Uh, and then I happened to hear uh, the chief medical officer, Dr. Steve Leffler, talking about what was really impacting the hospital. And, it, you know, I think there was four components that he referenced, uh, the surge of the Delta variant, uh, the um, increase in, uh, in the elderly population once again, people who had avoided uh, medical um, treatment over the course of the entire pandemic, and there was another one, and I listened to that, and our team listened to that, and we said, you know, none of that's going to go away yeah. in in the next two or three weeks. None of that's going to go away in the next month. So we need to talk about what we can do and what we can do responsibly. Pete Delaney with me this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. We're talking about uh, the People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon happening in 13 days, October 24th. I'd like to open up the phone lines in the last few minutes here and, Pete, talk with you about some of the challenges that you've seen over the course of the years running this marathon. And love to hear from you if you run the marathon and, and something happened to you or there was some funny moment or some interesting thing that happened, 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. So let's start off with, well, I think it was your first year. with Was that with the floods? Oh, gosh. No, there was a couple of years of floods. Actually, my first year was a pretty normal year, uh, as things go. And I have How to many years have you been doing this? Uh, well, my first race uh, co-directing with Andrea Cicino was 2009. Okay. And so 2010 was uh, the first time I soloed through it. Not that it's a solo operation. We have a great team. Um, but the uh, that wasn't the flood. That wasn't the flood. Okay, we had floods the next couple of years. Yeah, that was yeah. When, when and, you had to change the course, yeah. Uh, every every ten minutes, it was like okay, we're gonna have to move it. And every time you do it, you gotta it's gotta be verified. Yeah. You don't just move it. Yeah, there's there. Um, it's kind of a joke in in the boardroom that we haven't had many many <laughs> quote unquote normal years. Um, but you know, there's. Uh, weather, you know, uh, it was either 11 or 12 when uh, I walked into the parks department about four days before the race, and they looked at me and said, uh, that was the year the lake was flooding uh, yep. particularly bad. And they looked at me and said, well, we don't think you can use the last five miles of your course. <laughs> uh, and I said, well, you know, without panicking or, or losing my my stuff, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to need a definitive on that within the next couple of three hours. Yeah. Uh, and they they came back and met again later that afternoon. They said, "Well, we think you're okay. The the engineers have been look out and looking at the bike path, and you know they're con- concerned about some of the stuff up by North Shore development sliding. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's going to be okay as long as it doesn't rain anymore. Oh my goodness! And then of course it poured rain for each of the next three yeah. nights. What year was there uh, the threat of the thunderstorm? And the entire race field had to be cleared before the start of the race. And I'll never forget this because I remember when we were just getting ready to to do an introduction of somebody, and I got the look from you like this to the <laughs> neck. We're not doing it, and I'm thinking, well, what's he talking about? And just clear the stage. Everybody has to leave. We made the announcement. 
everybody left, and my concern was, how are we going to get them back here and start the race? And the amazing thing was they all came back and started the race. That was, Charlie, the last time we held the race, 2019. Oh, my. I, you know, that was just unbelievable because I'm thinking to Tim, I'm going, it ain't going to happen. You know, I, I everyone's like gone, and how are they going to know when to come back? And I don't think it was a 20-minute. How, how long did we go? It was it was probably about 40 minutes. 40 minutes, yeah. 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 Unbelievable. I have to say, you know, I remember Mike Sherling was on the stage with us at that time, you know, the commissioner of public safety. Yeah. And uh, he looked at me and said, this is never going to work. <laughs> and, I, and, and it did. And then uh, it did. I, it was I a think, beautiful day after that thunderstorm yeah, passed. Yeah. I uh, think Karen Allen and I, our board president at the time, were went over to the Burlington Police Department where the emergency ops center was. And we're standing inside and we're looking at, at you know, there's four or five faces around around the, the, the phones and whatnot. Yeah. We looked at each other and said, it sure as hell better rain now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, some of the fun things that we that we do on the course and during uh, during the race, and specifically at Waterfront Park, the T-shirt cannon. Is, t-shirt are gun. you bringing the T-shirt cannon of back? Of course. you got to bring yeah, it back. Absolutely. <laughs> and we're going to have, you know, what else we got to have there? There isn't a race without. Oh, you know it. More, more cowbell. cowbell. You know, one of the things that, that Pete was responsible for when he took over the uh, executive uh, directorship of, of the marathon <laughs> was cowbell. And we've got more cowbell than, and that just, I mean, the noise of cow, I got a cowbell right here. There you go. <laughs> we need more cowbell. When did you come up with that idea? You know, I actually saw it at another race. Uh, uh, was at a triathlon, and uh, the race director had a little red wagon, literally a little red wagon. <laughs> yeah. He was dragging around the the, the uh, area and handing out cowbells. I said, you know, this is Vermont. We gotta we gotta have cowbells. Yeah. You gonna have uh, food vendors and uh, celebration at the waterfront uh, park? We'll have a small gathering there. Probably no food vendors this okay. year. Yep. Um, it'll be come on down, cheer people, you know, and, and uh, celebrate them and, uh, right. and head on. Well, looking forward to it. 13 days, the People's United Bank Vermont City Marathon. Thanks for joining me today, Pete Delaney. Thanks, Charlie. And uh, we could always use volunteers. Go to runvermont.org if you want to help us out. All right. Travels with Charlie, sponsored by Casella Waste Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne Travel, American Express. Theme song written and performed by Billy Bratcher. My executive producer is Brad Fernlin. Director Steve Cormier. I'm Charlie Papillo. I'll see you in my travels. Let your thoughts run free. You can have your turn if you feel the burn.